I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Have you added a few pandemic pounds over the last two years? How will that affect the health of your feet? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. The pandemic has been hard on our feet. Going barefoot in the house while working from home could aggravate plantar fasciitis pain. Gaining even a few pounds can put extra strain on the ankles and feet. Our People's Pharmacy foot expert, Dr. Jane Anderson, is standing by to answer your questions about heel pain, tendonitis, bunions, fungal infections, and other foot problems. Call in your questions at 888 888- Four seven two three three six six. Coming up on the People's Pharmacy, fixing your foot problems. In the People's Pharmacy health headlines, the COVID nineteen pandemic has revealed serious shortcomings in indoor air quality. An article published in JAMA this week points out the importance of layering multiple approaches to preventing the spread of the virus. Among the most important and underutilized are ventilation, filtration, and disinfection. According to the authors, schools that improve ventilation and filtration cut the incidence of COVID-19 almost in half. When schools and other organizations upgrade their heating and air conditioning systems to improve air quality, they reduce the risk for COVID-19 and other infections for everyone who uses the building. People with asthma also benefit. Eye doctors have long recommended dietary supplements for their patients with retinal disease. Back in the 1990s, a clinical trial called Age-Related Eye Disease Study, known as AREDS, tested a specific formulation. This combination of vitamins and minerals was effective for slowing the development of moderate age-related macular degeneration, also called AMD, into severe AMD. There was one hitch, though. The AREDS formula contained beta-carotene, and that antioxidant increased the risk for lung cancer in smokers. When the scientists tested a new formulation, substituting lutein and zeaxanthin for beta-carotene, they found that the supplement was equally effective without the added danger for smokers. Now, researchers have published the results of a 10-year follow-up. People taking the AREDS-2 formulation containing lutein and zeaxanthin were less likely to have had their retinal damage get worse. The scientists concluded that the AREDS-2 supplement formulation is safe and effective for long-term use. A new study in mice suggests that neuroscientists have been looking at Alzheimer's disease from the wrong direction. For decades, researchers have identified plaques of amyloid beta as the major feature of Alzheimer's disease. The belief was that amyloid collected outside of cells and caused classical brain damage associated with this type of dementia. Now, however, investigators at New York University have discovered that problems with waste disposal inside brain cells could be the source of the destruction. Lysosomes that are supposed to rid neurons of cellular debris fail to operate efficiently. Instead, they allow amyloid to start accumulating within the cell. 
one of the key researchers, points out the problems with past studies in drug development. This new evidence changes our fundamental understanding of how Alzheimer's disease progresses. It also explains why so many experimental therapies designed to remove amyloid plaques have failed to stop disease progression because the brain cells are already crippled before the plaques fully form outside the cell. There's good news and bad news about new cancer treatments. Articles in both JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine describe important drug advances, but they come at a very high price. Between 2008 and 2021, the median price for new cancer drugs was more than $155,000 a year. Even for people who are covered under Medicare, out-of-pocket expenses can be prohibitive, especially for oral medications. The first month of treatment can cost recipients more than $3,000 with total out-of-pocket yearly expense of $15,000 or more. Appropriately, the title of the article in the New England Journal of Medicine is, quote, Your Money or Your Life, The High Cost of Cancer Drugs Under Medicare Part D. Lyme disease is not the only illness transmitted by tick bites. Although ticks can carry a wide range of bacteria, from the Borrelia that cause Lyme to Ehrlichiosis and Rocky Mountain spotted fever, they can also transmit viral infections such as Powassan and the recently identified Heartland virus. The Lone Star tick, which is common throughout the southeast and midwest U.S., is now spreading this virus. Symptoms include fever, fatigue, muscle pain, diarrhea, headache, nausea, and low white blood cell counts. Because this infection is caused by a virus, there are no effective treatments. Avoiding tick bites is the best approach. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. Today we're talking about fixing your foot problems. We count on our feet to take us everywhere, shopping, exercising, traveling to work or to visit friends. When our feet hurt, it affects everything we do. During the pandemic, we might not have been thinking that much about our feet and some of the things we did might not have been real good for them. For example, working from home might have meant wearing slippers or flip-flops or going barefoot. That could have aggravated plantar fasciitis. Today, we are delighted to have Dr. Jane Anderson here with us in the studio to answer your questions about foot problems. Dr. Anderson is board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery. She's in practice at Chapel Hill Foot and Ankle. That's part of FASMA, Foot and Ankle Specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. Dr. Anderson specializes in foot and ankle care for children, adults, athletes, and geriatric patients, and is a trustee of the American Podiatric Medical Association. Are you struggling with bunions, tendinitis, or ingrown toenails? Dr. Anderson is standing by to answer your questions. If you're wondering how to kick your heel pain, you can give us a call, 888-472-3366. If our lines are full, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 
888-472-3366. You can also ask a question from Facebook or Twitter. We're at People's Pharmacy. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Jane Anderson. It's so wonderful to have you here live in the studio today. Thank you so much. It is so great to be back. Let's start with a basic question, because I think a lot of our listeners are like, okay, what's a podiatrist? What, What exactly is the training? How does it differ from like a doctor of orthopedic medicine? Give us the straight and skinny. So a podiatrist is a medical and surgical specialist that concentrates only on the foot and ankle. So it's a very broad specialty that is very geographically limited. So as a podiatrist, I do surgery, I prescribe medicine, I treat all ages and do various things. However, it is a slightly different path. So to become a podiatrist, I went to undergraduate and did my pre-med requirements and took the MCAT. And then I attended um, one of the nine podiatric medical schools. And the program is very similar to allopathic medicine. It's four years long. There are a lot of um, very similar, you know, biochemistry, anatomy, histology, physiology, things along those lines. And except that we spend a little bit more time studying the anatomy from the waist down than we do, than you would if you were in traditional medical school. After four years of medical school, you spend three years in residency and you learn how to do foot surgery and also do all the rotations that you would do if you were training as a general doctor as well. Sounds intensive. It is intensive. But, you know, what I like to say about podiatry is that it's the best kept secret in medicine because I think that when people are going into medicine, they don't realize what a specialty this is in terms of how wonderful it is to be able to make people feel better right away. And my patients generally, I'm, you know, they're not sick and dying in the hospital or they're not sick and dying from what I'm treating them for, which is nice. I make people feel better on a daily basis. And it's very rewarding in that regard. Well, we have been, uh, we have not talked to you for a long time. And part of the reason was we could not come into the studio because of the pandemic. We were working from home, and a lot of other people also were doing pandemic-related work, either working from home or perhaps doing a different type of work um, when they were out in the community. So we are wondering if you have seen an impact of the pandemic on people's feet. Has there been any shift in what you've seen in the office, what people are coming in with? We have seen definitely a huge shift in terms of pandemic-related foot issues. Most of them are habitual-related issues, meaning we've all changed our habits somewhat, and therefore it has affected our feet. But there are some that are related certainly specifically to COVID. So um, the most common one that we've all heard about is COVID toes. And that is certainly something that we can see. It's a vascular disease in the digits. Um, That mimics something else that we've seen, which is called chillblains. Chillblains is a vascular issue. And it is something generally you see in cold, damp climates. And in North Carolina, in the wintertime, we see quite a bit of it. I think in the winter of 2020 to 2021, I saw more in that winter than I had seen in my entire 20-year career. I mean, wow. 
How come? I think part of it was because people were walking barefoot around their house, um, not wearing socks or shoes, and their toes were getting cold. But I think some of it may have been that maybe those people had COVID and didn't realize it, and it was presenting as COVID toes because they're very similar. Uh, just for the listeners that don't know what chilblains is, it is a vascular disease that manifests as little purplish, red, blotchy changes on the tips of your toes. Sometimes it cracks. Sometimes it itches and burns. And it is aggravated by your feet getting cold, but also by warming them too quickly. So if you, your feet are cold and you go stand on the heater, that's going to aggravate your chilblains. So there's a lot of things we can do to improve chilblains. Keeping your feet warm is the first thing along those lines. Well, let's invite our listeners to join the conversation. Do you have a foot problem? How about plantar fasciitis? What is it and what does it feel like to have it? Our lines are open 888-472-3366. If our lines are full, you can reach us by email. It's radio at peoplespharmacy.com. We're also available on both Facebook and Twitter. We're at People's Pharmacy. Well, in just a minute, we're going to go to the phones. But first, I want to talk about a non-pandemic related foot problem. Um, but it has a, a kind of a, a story about how, how this is connected to that. So here is the situation. My sister, who lives in Massachusetts, was out walking months ago. When the snow was deep and there was an icy crust on top, she was out walking around her uh, around somewhere on on her road, and her foot broke through the ice, and that actually broke the toe. Now she was not barefoot; she she was wearing boots or shoes or some, probably boots, since she was out in the snow. But the toe was broken, and. She saw somebody and they said, yeah, it's a broken toe. We don't do much for that. And uh, so she taped it to the toe next to it and um, tried not to do a lot of walking on it, but didn't completely stay off it. And after a couple of months, she said, wow, the toe that got broken doesn't hurt anymore, but my heel really hurts. And she says, the doctor says that I now have plantar fasciitis. So the question is, we later found out that actually the toe had not healed. So all of these things are kind of piling up like a whole cascade of dominoes that breaking your toe means that you change your gait. Changing your gait could mean plantar fasciitis. Tell us a little bit about that and also tell us what's the proper treatment for a broken toe. Well, as far as broken toes go, don't ever estimate that there's nothing you can do. So I always tell people, certainly come in for an x-ray. Sometimes we have to reset the toe because it's in the wrong position and then it won't heal correctly. So there are certain ways of splinting the toes and there are certain ways of relocating them if necessary. And so it's important to seek treatment, and oftentimes it depends on which toe you're talking about as well. So don't ever ignore the, the broken toe or the presumed broken toe. And that's certainly something we saw during the pandemic. People would come in 
with broken bones that hadn't healed properly because they didn't want to go to the emergency room when they injured themselves. Um, I had a patient with a broken ankle who literally was six months walking around on a broken ankle and did not know it because he broke it in April of 2020 and rightly so did not want to go to the emergency room. But in regard to plantar fasciitis, certainly that is one of the most common conditions we see. There are many, many causes. Huge uptick during the pandemic. That's probably my number one increase during of conditions caused by habitual changes during the pandemic. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> we will absolutely after the break. We actually have a little time left. We have one more minute. So why don't you tell us in a minute... What is plantar fasciitis? So plantar fasciitis is an inflammation of a band of tissue on the bottom of your foot called your plantar fascia. It is the structure that goes from your heel bone to the ball of your foot. It is a thick ligamentous structure, and it oftentimes gets inflamed. It's generally manifested as heel pain, sometimes arch pain, sometimes both. Typically, people will experience pain as they first stand up after they've been sitting or in the morning. That is very textbook. And then it tends to hurt as the day goes on or even all day long with every step as the disease progresses. We have enough to talk briefly and we'll come after the break. We'll talk about treatments. But I know that a lot of our listeners want to know, well, what can I do? And I've seen stuff on Facebook. So in 30 seconds or so, what can you do? Is it orthotics? Is that the answer? For treatment for plantar fasciitis is there are so many. There's stretching, icing, massaging, orthotics or inserts, good shoes, um, anti-inflammatory, sometimes cortisone injection, physical therapy, um, immobilization. Surgery is very uncommon. Okay. That's the good news. Yes. And there are things you can do. You're listening to Dr. Anderson. She is a podiatrist, board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery and in practice in Chapel Hill Foot and Ankle. And she is here to answer your questions about your foot problems. Uh, After the break, we'll take more of them. 888-472-3366 is the number to call. If our lines are full, send us an email. We're at radio at peoplespharmacy.com or on Facebook and Twitter, we are at People's Pharmacy. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible by Cocovia. Now introducing memory and focus, this new brain health supplement is a unique blend of plant-based ingredients made with Coco Pro Plus, proprietary botanical blend, clinically proven lutein, and naturally sourced caffeine. It's specially designed to keep you focused, boost memory, and support brain function with a single capsule daily. Learn more at CocoVia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Grayton. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, introducing a new product called Memory and Focus. More information at cocovia.com. 
And I'm Terry Graydon. We'd also like to welcome a new underwriter, Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at gaiaherbs.com. We're talking today about foot problems, and we welcome your calls. Our lines are open at 888-472-3366. You can send us email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 888-472-3366. Our guest is Dr. Jane Anderson. She's board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery, and she's in practice at Chapel Hill Foot and Ankle. That's part of FASMA, Foot and Ankle Specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. Dr. Anderson specializes in foot and ankle care for children, adults, athletes, and geriatric patients, and is a trustee of the American Podiatric Medical Association. And Dr. Anderson, we were just talking about plantar fasciitis, and we have a question from Susan in Hillsborough, North Carolina. Susan writes, During the pandemic, I was working hours and hours in my studio, barefoot. This spring, I developed pain, plantar fasciitis, in my heels and feet with a prickly feeling on the pads of my feet, just below my toes. I'm now wearing the new style plastic Birkenstocks because it's easier to wash the paint off the plastic ones. And that seems to be helping a bit, stretching my feet out with a long elastic before I get out of bed. But the tingly and prickling feeling is not changing. What else could I do? Sometimes when I hear neurologic symptoms like tingling or burning, I think of other things in addition to plantar fasciitis. There is a um, condition where the nerve that goes back behind the ankle that supplies the bottom of the foot gets irritated. Um, Sometimes it can go along with plantar fasciitis. It's called tarsal tunnel syndrome. And I think that I'm not saying that you have tarsal tunnel syndrome, but I feel that it's probably something that should be evaluated. Oftentimes, someone like that needs to be wearing an orthotic or something a little bit more substantial than wearing just a Birkenstock, which is a decent shoe, but something sometimes a little bit more is necessary. I'd like to go back and just revisit plantar fasciitis for a moment. My recollection is that when I had this many years ago, Getting out of bed was agony. The first step, the second step, even the 10th step hurt. So what, what's that about? So typically speaking, when you are laying in bed or sitting down, your arch is relaxed. And there is slack in the line of this band of tissue that supports your arch that goes from your, the heel to the ball of your foot. And when you stand down, your foot collapses somewhat and stretches that tissue. And so a lot of times when it first starts, that's the first symptom you'll have. And then it stretches out after you walk for a few minutes, and then it comes back at the end of the day. One of my big things with my patients, I say, is number one, do a little gentle stretch before you get out of bed. But number two, you shall not walk barefoot. And they all give me the look because they all want to walk barefoot around their homes. Um... I recommend oftentimes wearing something to slip your foot into right away. I like the recovery sandals made by Ufos, and I also like slippers made by Vionic, and they both have arch support built in. Now, we actually have an email from uh, Kelly in Florida uh, who says, so having plantar fasciitis probably due to playing pickleball and living in Florida 
Flip flops,、uh, wearing flip flops, concrete floors. Is there any food or supplement that can help? I take turmeric, and that seems to help a little. I think that's probably the most common supplement that we use for inflammation in our practice, at least.、Um, I think more of it is habitual, you know, changing your habits, wearing something on your concrete floors at home. Try the recovery sandals,、um, stretching, making sure that you're wearing good support with your. Pickleball shoes, and that you're actually replacing them frequently as well. Okay, thank you for that. Let's go to the phones, Terry. Let's talk to Fernando in Orlando, Florida. I think we have to hit that thing at the bottom. Hit the thing at the bottom. I think、well. we we're, we're working with new technology today.、Um, How do we load Fernando? That number one at the bottom, the blue thing. Oh, that's it. That's exactly it. All right. I think maybe. Okay. Shall I try? Let's see.、Uh, oh wait, I know. We hit route. I did hit route. You hit route. Let me yes, try. You hit route. How's that?、Um, okay. I don't know how to do this. I'm not sure either. Yeah. And here we practice. We practice. So that、hard. didn't help. All right. Now, Fernando in Orlando. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. We're still struggling here. <laughs> so, oh, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Shall we try Kenneth in Rocky Mount, well, Virginia? I'm not sure it will be any better. Let's try. All right. Well, while、um, Terry is trying to pull up our first call. I'm going to ask you a question from Diane in Houston, Texas. Diane says, "I broke the fourth toe of my right foot. The podiatrist said the bones in my foot looked weak, and that I should take a bone strengthening medicine, which I would like to avoid. Are there any good exercises to strengthen the bones in my feet?" Well, obviously, when you think about bone strength and bone density, it has to do with what we call osteopenia or osteoporosis. So, if we take an X-ray and your bones look washed out, we might say, "Okay, these are the things you can do to increase your bone density." Number one, weight-bearing exercise. That's very important for especially older women. As as we get older, we need to make sure we weight bear and do weight-bearing exercises. Um, obviously, calcium and vitamin D three is important. However, I really think the most important thing is to make sure your primary care doctor has screened you for osteoporosis and see if any of the medications that are appropriate for that are applicable to you. We're going to see if we can talk to Michelle in Sarasota. I have routed the call, and、uh, Michelle, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Okay, Al, do you want to come on in here and see if you can get our interesting, new, and wonderful equipment? We're calling our engineer into the studio, and we're going to see if he can make it work. All right. So,、um, in any event,、uh, I will read an email, which comes from Caro in Warwick. I was recently diagnosed with heel pad atrophy. I have high arches and wear custom orthotics. The two doctors I've seen told me to look online. They basically said they had nothing to help. 
Use heel pads, I was told. Those don't work with orthotics. What can I do to help my excruciating foot pain? What is this and what causes this problem? So, heel pad atrophy. What is it and what do you do about it? So, certainly, as we get older, the fat on the bottom of our foot tends to dissipate, and we call that fat pad atrophy. There are different spots on the foot where it can happen, certainly the heel or the ball of the foot. And I think that a lot of times, you know, injections that you hear about are not necessarily as effective as we would like them to be. So it really is about what materials you put under your feet. And it's, you know, walking barefoot is obviously very uncomfortable. It may be that your orthotic needs to be redone with extra padding or a different material. Or There are multiple choices we have when we make custom orthotics, which are Uh, prescription inserts that go inside your shoes. We have multiple options in regard to the materials, and it may be that making something a little bit softer in that area would be to your benefit. The other thing that I like is, you know, there are some shoes with more cushioning than other shoes, and especially um, Hoka's. I don't know if anyone's heard of Hoka's before. They are shoes with a lot of cushioning underneath the foot, and that may be beneficial and comfortable for you. Okay, so it sounds like new shoes or new orthotics are in order. Michelle in Sarasota. Hmm. We Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. (laughs) We had Michelle. I didn't touch it. No. Hi, Michelle. Are you there? Okay. Let me try to pull Michelle down. (laughs) There. Michelle, are you there? I just want... Oh, hello. We have our phones working. Thank you. We can hear you. What is your question, please? All right, my question is, I have calluses on my feet. But I just yeah. went to the podiatrist the other day, had an appointment. Yeah. Where do the calluses come from? How do people get, why do I, why do, where do calluses come from on the feet? And what are they? So calluses are a thickening of the outer layer of the skin, the hyperkeratotic layer of the skin. So it's just a thickening of that skin. They come in pressure points. So anywhere that your foot gets friction or bears more weight is where you're prone to calluses. So some people get them under a certain metatarsal bone on the ball of the foot. Some people get them on the sides of their toes where we call them corns. It really depends on how you call them corns. That is a crazy. It is a crazy name. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But calluses come at pressure points and that's why they will come back. So unless you change the way you walk, your calluses will return. So a podiatrist can trim them down and make you feel better. The other thing that the podiatrist can do is actually prescribe perhaps an insole for your shoe or a custom orthotic to change the way you walk to sort of minimize how fast those lesions return. And also there are topical keratolytic agents that we use. Um, There's an ingredient called urea that is a keratolytic that breaks down that outer layer of the skin. they are different strengths, 10%, 20%, 40%. 40% is prescription only. Those can help the, keep the calluses down. So if you have diabetes or vascular disease, you must see your podiatrist to have the calluses trimmed. If you don't have those problems, you can use a pumice stone or one of those other devices to shave down the callus and use urea cream 20%. Um, to keep it under control. But you might see the podiatrist to see if there's anything you can do with your shoe gear or your inserts to change the way you're walking slightly to improve. Now, there are cases also where certain calluses respond to certain types of surgery as well. Rebalancing or moving bones makes your life a whole lot better. Okay, let's 
drag Lee down. Now, Terry, you want to welcome Lee? Yes, Lee in Milan, Missouri. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. What Hello. is troubling your feet? Well, I've had uh, this problem for decades. Uh, when I go for a longer hike, well, when I go for any hike, uh, of course, I'm wearing hiking shoes. And even when I bicycle, uh, I get uh, pretty good pain on the bottom of my left foot right behind the little toe. And usually I just uh, soldier through the pain and maybe within a half hour or an hour it'll go away and I can continue to walk. But it's pretty painful when I start. So it sounds like it's pain maybe under the head of your fifth metatarsal, which is the area just um, near the, the small toe, um, that prominence in that area. And a lot of people will have trouble in that area because maybe their legs are different lengths and your that foot is functioning more in a supinated position, meaning turned in and you're bearing weight on the outside. Sometimes people have that problem because their calf muscles are tight and you're pushing off on the ball of your foot more than you should. And I often see that problem in people that are wearing shoes with too much support. So it really is an interesting thing when you look at the different types of athletic shoes. There are some that have extra support built in and not everyone needs that. So as you tilt your foot out with the extra support, it puts pressure on the outside of your foot. So it would be worthy of taking your shoes, making an appointment with your local podiatrist, and seeing what it, what it is. There are orthotics and things like that that can help that particular issue as well. Speaking of shoes... How do we pick shoes? I mean, there's the walking shoes, there's running shoes, there are tennis shoes in my case, there are hiking boots. How how do you get the right foot gear for the activity that you want to pursue? So the first step is, I mean, one of the first things I like to tell people is the APMA, which is the American Podiatric Medical Association, has products that have the seal of acceptance, meaning... They've been tested by an independent panel of podiatrists and shown to have good, promote good foot health. So that's a good starting point. You can look at apma.org slash seal, and they have multiple products there that you can look at sandals, you know, slippers, socks, shoes, everything. There are a lot of subtleties to choosing shoes. When you are, you know, as far as shoes go, you really need a sport-specific shoe. So if you're going to be playing pickleball or tennis, you need a court shoe. If you're going to be playing basketball, you need a basketball shoe. If you're running, you need a running shoe. The only exception to that rule for me is that if you're walking, you can wear a walking shoe or a running shoe. Either one of those is fine. It is important that you get your foot type analyzed. You can do that with a podiatrist or you can do that at a very good running shoe store. They'll watch you walk and and make sure that you are doing things appropriately. I also like to tell people shop at the end of the day when your feet are the most swollen. They should feel comfortable in the store. You should take any inserts that you might wear already with you and make sure that you are evaluated and you feel good to start with. There are a lot of people who are buying shoes online. Good idea, bad idea? It depends on the shoe. And I feel that, you know, certainly there are programs where you can return them. As long as you can return them easily, that's fine. Generally, it's not as good an idea as we would like. You know, it's better to buy them in person. It really is. It doesn't mean that I've never bought shoes online. But, you know, if I order 10 pairs of shoes online, I'm probably returning seven of them. Now, we have a question from Tony who wants to know, as she says... I am 72 years old. For the last three days, I've had a pain in my right heel. It doesn't hurt 
all the time, mostly when I wake up in the morning. I felt around my heel area, and I don't find anything there. And it goes on to say, could it be a plantar wart? If so, how can I take care of it naturally? Does duct tape work? But plantar warts wouldn't necessarily cause heel pain, would they? If they were on your heel, they might, they might. but it probably wouldn't go away. <laughs> so okay. if it's first steps in the morning, it's likely the plantar fasciitis that we talked about. Plantar warts are interesting because they can be very painful, and you should definitely have them treated. If you look at the bottom of your foot and you look at the skin and there's no skin lesions, it's probably plantar fasciitis, which really it's a gift to be able to say you've only had it for three days. Ice, stretching, wearing shoes. Good, with good support to start with. Let's go back to the phones. James is in Ridgeland, South Carolina. We just have a minute before the break. James, can you ask your question quickly? Yeah, um, I had my doctor deemed it as uh, a kidney tendonitis. I've been dealing with almost a couple of years. And he's describing um, uh, like being in the boot and trying to get off my feet. So I've been on my feet at work for like months at a time, but still yet it persists. Um, it's in the, I guess it's like at the base of the heel or what you call an insertion. I was doing a little homework myself, and I was wondering what the doctor might prescribe for the pain itself because it's, it's persistent. And sometimes it's bad, but days and others, and sometimes it's, it's not. Achilles tendonitis is very tricky, and there's, over time, what happens with tendonitis, which is an inflammation of the tendon, it evolves to tendinosis, which is scar tissue within the tendon. So if you've had it for a very long time, that may be the case. And, you know, we try all the same things. We try boot immobilization, anti-inflammatory, sometimes orthotics. Physical therapy can be very helpful for that. And then we sometimes do further imaging, like an MRI, to see if you need to have any, you know, surgery or any other treatment. You're listening to Dr. Jane Anderson. She's a podiatrist, board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery and in practice at Chapel Hill Foot and Ankle. Our lines are open for your calls at 888-472-3366. If you have a busy signal, just send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia. Introducing its new memory and focus product, more information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through the Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Our topic on this live show is fixing your foot problems. Do you have prickles or tingling on the soles of your feet? Sore heels or sore toes? 
give us a call at 888-472-3366. You can also send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com, or reach us through Twitter or Facebook at People's Pharmacy. That number again, 888 888- Four seven two thirty three sixty six. We're talking today with Dr. Jane Anderson. She is a board certified podiatrist. That means she just works on feet and ankles. She will be happy to take your calls, your questions, your thoughts. She's part of FASMA, Foot and Ankle Specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. Her practice is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And we'll talk to Don in Roanoke, Virginia. Don, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Your question. Thank you. Um, I wake up at night uh, with cramps in my toes. And the only way I can solve it is to walk it off for a couple minutes and go back to sleep and the cramps come back. So I'm wondering what's causing that. Uh, Don, it sounds painful. (laughs) Well, yes, it can be. (laughs) Don, how old are you? Uh, 78. Okay. So the first thing you want to make sure is that you have adequate circulation to your feet. Um, And certainly when you have pain in your feet at nighttime and you're a little older, we like to make sure that you're getting enough blood flow down there because that can be night pain, rest pain can be a sign of poor circulation. So if your feet are cold and blue, um, that's certainly something you should get checked out right away. If it's just muscle cramps, that can be something that we treat with various things. We've talked about this before on the show, I know. Um, I like to make sure that you're well hydrated, that your electrolytes are covered. Certainly in the summer and the hotter months, you know, making sure that you have salt replacement if you've been sweating or exercising. And also consider magnesium is another thing that I like to use for cramps. But it really is... You know, as we get older, we have to make sure there's enough blood flow down to your feet. And that's the most important thing. How do you do that? So if you were in my office, I would feel your pulses to make sure. I would look and make sure your skin was pink and warm. I would check what's called your capillary feel time, meaning I press on the skin on the toe and see how long it takes to go from white to pink again. And if it takes more than about three seconds, then I'm worried that you have a little bit of decrease in circulation. Now, speaking of leg cramps, which we weren't, but toe cramps aren't that far from leg cramps. You know, there are so many home remedies out there. I mean, people will tell us, well, I like pickle juice, or I eat an olive, or I eat a spoonful of yellow mustard, or I put a spar of soap under the bottom sheet. <laughs> what is the official sanctioned podiatrist recommendation? I mean, really, I think that if any of it's some, I have patients that use all of those things, and certainly some of them work for some people. But really, if, you know, I I like to concentrate on, okay, you know, usually by the time they come to me, they're not, they've already tried those things. And so usually I like to make sure that they're, like I said, their electrolytes are replaced after they exercise. I have a lot of people playing pickleball in, you know, their 70s and they need to make sure I, you know, add some Gatorade in, add some water in. And then if that doesn't work, try some magnesium. We go to Blanche in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. Blanche, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Thank you. Yes, hello. Go ahead, please. Uh, We are barely able to hear you, Blanche, so you'll have to make your call quite short. Uh, What can you do about neuropathy in the soles of your feet? 
Thank you. Thank you, Blanche. So neuropathy has many causes. Neuropathy is numbness, burning, or tingling in your uh, peripheral neuropathy means it's in your feet or possibly your hands, but usually your feet. It is most the most common cause is diabetes. The second most common cause is alcohol. And then there's a lot of what's called idiopathic neuropathy. There are vitamin deficiencies that cause it. So I say all this because you have to make sure, first of all, that you want to that you are treating any underlying cause. So if you're if you have diabetes, you want to make sure that your diabetes is well controlled, not too high, not too low. If you have a vitamin deficiency, that can be treated. Um, if you drink alcohol, you should excessively you should cut back. Um, the most common nerve health supplement that I recommend is alpha lipoic acid. And that's a very good one for your nerve health. Uh, usually we start with about 600 milligrams a day. There is a physician in the area who recommends something called benfotiamine, which is a B vitamin. In uh, addition to the ALA. To, to the ALA. So um, you might want to look. And Terry, could you spell benfotiamine, please? Yeah. It's actually spelled just the way it sounds. B-E-N-F-O. T-I-A-M-I-N-E. It is a synthetic form of thiamine. Let's go to this email, Terry. I've got Emily. uh, I was going to follow up on the neuropathy. Okay. Because we have an email from Mary in Chicago who said, what is the difference between neuropathic pain and Morton's neuroma? Ah. She says she was told to only wear Hoka shoes, which you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Dr. Anderson. How do you spell that? H-O-K-A. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and she wants to know about any other suggestions. So Morton's neuroma is an inflammation of a nerve on the ball of your foot. So it's very different from neuropathy. Neuropathy tends to be more diffuse, you know, the tips of all of your toes or both of your feet. Morton's neuroma is more focused. It is one specific nerve that's irritated. And I actually have a neuroma. I've had it for quite some time. Um, And my treatment for neuromas are typically shoe changes. You want to make sure you're wearing a wide shoe. I like the hocus because you almost roll over the neuroma when you're walking and it's less irritating and there's a fair amount of cushioning. There is a pad that I put inside people's shoes called a metatarsal pad that you put at the end of your arch and that shifts the weight away from the nerve and it spreads the spreads the bones apart so they're not as irritated. And in addition, I usually do stretching exercises to stretch the calf muscles. Orthotics can be helpful and cortisone injections, surgery as well. Uh, Terry, I'd like to go back to that question from Emily. Where did she go? There she is. She says, foot fungus. Um, as a lifeguard, I spend five to seven hours a day five days a week on my feet in a damp environment. I walk about three miles each day barefoot. Many colleagues wear Crocs, but my foot fungus was aggravated by wearing them without socks. We're not allowed to wear socks and must be ready to enter the water all the time. Three questions. What footwear dries quickly and can be kicked off easily in the water or worn to swim? My feet like to be sprayed with a 50-50 mixture of white vinegar and alcohol, the same I use in my ears to prevent swimmer's ear. What about foot fungus? You know, foot fungus is definitely found in those environments, damp environments. So public showers, pool sides, things like that, where you're more likely to get certainly foot fungus and warts. That, which is a virus. Um, and, you know, it, that's, that's hard. I think for her, she probably, you probably need to figure out 
what shoe is comfortable for you. So certainly something protecting you from your environment a little bit. Um, I don't know if a slide would be better um, than than a flip flop, but something that is comfortable that you can get you know kick off quickly. I like different brands. I like Vionic because they've got some support. Um, certainly, I like Chacos, but they're hard to get off. Now, nail fungus is always a topic of great interest and controversy, and I am sure you have heard our listeners say that Listerine, the old-fashioned amber Listerine in white vine- with white vinegar, about 50-50, is great as a foot soak. What else do you recommend, and and could that work as a home remedy? So foot fungus or toenail fungus, I'm sorry, is extremely difficult to control. And so I've had people that have used that, and I've had a few people that have had success, but it's very minimal in terms of the number of people that have tried it. I think that goes for just about everything, though. It's if It depends on how much fungus you have. So if you see a little bit of change on your toenail, certainly get involved sooner than later because you'll have more success as than someone who has all 10 nails involved. There are multiple treatments. And the interesting thing is the oral medication, which is Lamisil, which has been the most successful for many years, is starting to show some of the organisms are starting to show resistance uh. to that. So now we have testing for that, actually, where we can take a clipping and send it to the lab and they can test to see if the organism is susceptible mm. to Lamisil, which is great. Uh-huh. Speaking of testing, Terry, we've heard about people who ended up with bacterial infections in their nails. Right. Not every nail infection is fungal. Exactly. So, yeah. If it's bacterial, it's not going to respond to an antifungal medicine. So that's where we actually can do PCR testing now on nails, which is interesting. So if you have a particularly recalcitrant um, case... One thing that, you know, there are topical medications that are out there, and topicals take a very long time, as does anything. So if you're taking an oral medication, you have to wait a whole year for that nail to grow out to see what you've got. Um, the topical is the same. The one that we use in our office most frequently is called Tulsalin, and it is something you buy in a doctor's office, and it's actually been fairly successful for many people. And we've heard from some of our readers that neomycin antibiotic ointment applied to the nail actually has been helpful if it's a bacterial infection. So really surprised the heck out of us, but for some people it seems to work. I think if it were a bacteria, that might be helpful. Shall we take a call from Lawrence in Sublette, Kansas? Lawrence, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hi, Lawrence. Hello. Yes, go ahead with your question, please. Okay, about a year ago, I stepped on a nail and wounded my foot. Uh, first thing I did was get a tetanus shot, and at the time, I thought it had healed up within a few weeks. Later in the summer, it started causing problems again, and, and it wasn't it wasn't healed. Uh, eventually, I went to my physician, and he sent me to a wound care clinic, and they put on put a cast on for oh, about a month and a half, and it eventually healed up. Since then, I've developed calluses on the spot where the wound was, and uh, they just won't, won't go away. They're not really painful, but they cause discomfort. 
So certainly any place you have an incision or a scar on the bottom of your foot, you could develop a callus. And that's kind of unfortunate because that's, you know, certainly it's not the same type of callus that we were talking about before, which is a biomechanical callus. This is actually scar tissue, most likely. And you know, it's it's unfortunate because there's not a whole lot you can do about that. You can try and keep the callus under control with debridements by your podiatrist or even topical keratolytics like we talked about, urea 20%. But it is important. And, and also, it's important to note for the listeners, puncture wounds are very serious. You should get them addressed right away. There are different zones on the foot, and if you have a puncture wound in certain zones, you are likely to have a bone infection, so it's very important that you get them addressed immediately. Well, it was a good thing that Lawrence got his tetanus shot. Yes. But I'm guessing surgery is a problem. I mean, if you have a if you have a plantar wart and it's big and the the doctor cuts it out. Now we're talking maybe scar tissue. It's possible. Generally speaking, when we cut out plantar warts, we're not invading the dermis. We're mainly dealing with epidermis. So usually people do not scar with cutting out plantar warts. That being said, it's not my first line of defense usually because I don't want to create a scar. There are, you know, if we can approach anything surgically, bones and things like that from the top of the foot, we choose to do that in most cases because surgery on the bottom of the foot, you always run the risk you of, of a scar that's painful. We have an email from Howard in Satellite Beach, Florida. He says, as a licensed massage therapist, I currently have five clients who appear to have Morton's toe, a long second metatarsal. Since they complain of ankle soreness, frequent sprains or instability, have a bunion or one that's starting, have hammer toes, balance issues, and typically have a callus at the plantar side of the second MP joint. I don't know what an MP joint is, but you might. (laughs) I learned that this condition is as if the foot is standing on a two-legged stool instead of a three-legged stool. Uh, So our local podiatrists have offered them no help. What do you offer your patients with this condition? So, so tell us again about Morton's, Morton's toe. toe. So the ball, the the metatarsals are the bones in your feet that are, you know, lead up to your toes essentially. And there's a parabola, meaning they are different lengths. And if your second metatarsal, which is at the base of your second toe, is longer than the other ones, significantly longer, that means that when you push off during the propulsive phase of gait, you are going to be putting the most of your pressure on that bone. And so it's really important that people approach this from a multifaceted approach, meaning, number one, um, stretch your calf muscles. And this is where he can be very helpful for them, is that generally speaking, people have tight calf muscles, and therefore they spend a little bit more time on the ball of their foot than they should with every single step. So if you're stretching like your gastrocnemius muscle, Uh, which is the runner stretch with your back leg straight and you're you're leaning forward towards the wall, your front leg bent, that can be very helpful in diminishing the pressure on the ball of your foot when you walk. In addition, metatarsal pads, which are those pads that go at the end of the arch, sometimes orthotics. Now, I have a long second metatarsal bone. In other words, my my second toe is longer than my big toe. Mm And it kind of moves over. It's sort of, it hurts when it gets bent over next to my big toe. Is there, I mean, you don't 
like shorten them, do you? I mean, what can you sometimes, do? Sometimes, you know, sometimes if people feel conservative care, there are surgeries and it sometimes it does include restructuring the parabola or the metatarsal length. Um, so sometimes we do shorten the second metatarsal. It's a very common procedure um, when we correct hammer toe deformities. Joe, do we have time to take a question about Raynaud's? Um, we're almost out of time. We'll probably just ask Dr. Anderson, what is Raynaud's and what can you do about it? So Raynaud's can be related to diseases or it can happen on its own. And it's essentially vasospasms in your fingers and toes. And if you look at your toes and they're either sometimes red, sometimes white, sometimes blue, that can be Raynaud's. And um, I always use the example of my husband has Raynaud's and he grew up in San Diego. And so he probably didn't even know he had Raynaud's until he was much older. And when we moved to North Carolina in this in the wintertime, he can show me his hand and the tip of his finger is like pure white and there's a line demarcating it. And it's very, very painful. I was just going to ask if it hurts. It's very painful. And so the the key is keeping yourself warm. There are medications you can take orally, um, very common in the feet as well. Well, that's all the time we have today. We want to thank you for listening and asking your questions and putting up with our technical challenges. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Jane Anderson, board certified by the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery. She's in practice at Chapel Hill Foot and Ankle. That's part of FASMA, Foot and Ankle Specialists of the Mid-Atlantic. Dr. Anderson specializes in foot and ankle care for kids, adults, athletes, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta provided technical assistance along with Ayasi Chinflu. Al Wadarski engineered. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, introducing its new memory and focus product. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through the Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today's show is number 1,304. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can post your comments about today's show. You could subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest health news. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do, and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. 
Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.